and welcome to Night in on Negotiation, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Knighton. My philosophy is that you cannot change the other person you negotiate with, but you can change how you negotiate with them to achieve better outcomes for you or your organization. This podcast series includes interviews, lectures, speeches, and webinars, and includes materials from all four of my books. For more information and free resources, please visit www.jnyden.com. Enjoy. Today we have a really interesting guest and an even more relevant topic for all of you who are moving into leadership. Today we're going to talk about the next generation of leadership and what that looks like for folks that maybe weren't thinking about leadership at this time in their career or are looking at leadership and are now suddenly thrust into a leadership role. Our guest today is Lori Nichols, who is a succession and transition coach. Lori, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me today. So uh, my focus is working primarily with professional service firm owners and their next generation leaders to help them navigate what I consider to be pretty tricky waters relative to succession planning. And oftentimes that is, it is both, uh, can be ownership, but it's also just leadership and preparing people to take on uh, new roles and take on new responsibilities and be prepared to step into what are oftentimes pretty big shoes to fill. You know, this topic came of interest because I'm seeing in my work with contract professionals a lot of older Americans, baby boomers in particular, so those that would be over 58 or so, who are retiring now. Um, And as a result of their retirement, there's a scramble to fill not only the position, but also the leadership portion of that position. Let let me start with a little bit of your observations. My observations are that in some companies that don't think of succession planning, someone announces retirement and then there's a mad scramble to post the position or start looking for the replacement person. What's been your experience? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, both in experience from my own career before I launched my my uh, coaching and consulting business, for sure that was very much a pattern. Um, and in my work now with clients, and just you know being out in the world and you know just a lot of the companies and and people that I talk to, it's kind of epidemic on so many levels in terms of people are so busy, teams are so busy. And it's one of those things where they, there is not a conscious thought about how are we um, just handling our day-to-day business, so to speak, much less really setting the stage or setting the foundation for developing people. Because when you think about it, a lot of this is really about um, not putting any energy into people development. And it's more than just kind of checking boxes on taking a class here and there. And so without a conscious 
a consciously well thought out plan for development, it is a mad scramble. And what I see too often are people put into those roles when they're really not prepared and um, and it can be, you know, harm their confidence and and uh, and also just, you know, set them up for feeling like um, they failed in a role where really it's kind of more of an organizational failure, not preparing people, not doing that professional development. You know, that's a really good point. Let's pause there for a moment. I really resonated with that statement. Individuals will think if they're thrust into a role that they've not been prepared for as being a failure at the individual level. But what you're saying is this is more of an organizational failure in that the individual can't possibly know how to prepare for that leadership. Classes will only teach you so much. So what what are organizations that are best in class doing to prevent that failure? You know, it's, you know, it, it is a, a, a leadership thing, if you will. And it, it needs to be a leadership thing is probably a better way to put it. You know, it's like I'm a big fan of um, the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book, which there's a new um, updated edition out these days. But he always talked about this quadrant of, um, I think of it as quadrant of productivity. And there's the quadrant of urgent and important. And that's where I see so many people operating, where everything is urgent and important, as opposed to it's the Northeast quadrant, which is not urgent, but important. And that's where strategic planning happens. That's where, you know, if, uh, you know, for the human body, that's, you know, you take care of your your health, you work out, you, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you work on personal relationships, you know, that kind of thing. And there's very little effort put into that. You'll see companies invest a lot of effort into strategic planning, but how infrequently that actually extends to that people development. Like some large organizations, they do have talent development teams, you know, large robust hr uh departments and and yet um you know i don't know that there's the the essential kind of personal connection between the people that work for the company and especially those that are high potential um individuals is there a real connection between who they are what their natural skills and strengths are and um uh, you know, kind of a, 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 a known or established path to leadership. Well, and the other thing that I've found, at least within the profession of uh, contracting, is that a lot of my clients that I mentor did not raise their hand and grow up and say, I just cannot wait to the day when I become a contract professional and Mm -hmm. read and negotiate and draft and manage Mm -hmm. complex contracts all day long. And as a result, some of the leadership succession planning feels much the same way, that we're asking individuals that never envision themselves as wanting to lead a team or a department, let alone a division, 
you know, we're, we're not necessarily asking them, did you grow up to want to do this? Do you have the aptitude for it? Do you want to learn the company culture and the company politics and et cetera? It's more that you look around and see who's really good yes. at their mm-hmm. job. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a good leader of others in that job. What are your thoughts on best practices for choosing the next generation of leadership? You know, I kind of look at this uh, through the lens, you know, again, the people lens. And it's not just their technical skills or abilities. It's really their personal qualities or characteristics. A lot of times I'll help clients think through um, kind of the roadmap for team members, high potential team members becoming leaders. And it's oftentimes somewhat of a challenge to have them embrace the idea that they, they need to expand their thinking to include, again, those personal qualities and characteristics. So for example, you know, it's like, knowledgeable about contracts is a technical thing. Mm -hmm. You know, your experience in that area is a technical thing. And that may, in fact, be very, very important. And yet it's your personal qualities that will determine how well you are able to communicate, how well you are able to engage with people. Because you're not, you may be boss. However, if you want to be a leader, that means you connect with people. That's a really fascinating thought because we negotiate contracts. So we think that we're really great negotiators. We must be great communicators. But I actually think it's a very different skill set to negotiate a contract with someone who you have a commercial arm's length distance with versus trying to negotiate within a team things like workload, personality differences, different roles and responsibilities, or communicating up uh, as well. You know, how do you communicate what your team is doing to your superiors? So talk a little bit more about this idea of just because you're a boss doesn't mean you're a leader and you need to have really good communication skills that are leadership communication skills. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and I kind of, my sense is that communication and engagement go hand in hand. And by that, I'm really, what I mean is, is kind of uh, a clear intention for building rapport. And rapport comes from people feeling heard, people feeling understood, um, so often, especially again in uh, work cultures that are busy, which is most these days, communication is expedient at best. And so there's a lot of, uh, I, I've done a lot of studying with what's called conversational intelligence and kind of that base level of communication or communication style is sell and tell either trying to convince somebody of what they're supposed to be doing or they're, you're just telling them. And it can be effective in the short run, but it's, it's not effective at all in terms of building that rapport. And um, with rapport, you build trust. And with trust, 
you set yourself up for really getting commitment from people, whether it's for the work ahead, whether it's for being a part of the team, whether it's for growing into a leadership role. And, you know, so much of this too plays a part in just a sense of, you know, it's that psychological safety that people feel uh, within a company or, or on a team. If there isn't rapport, are people really going to be candid about what they're thinking or about what they need or or how they perceive the, the company's strategy or their, their part in it? Because you're never going to hear. They're never going to be candid. And, um, you know, it's something that I see a lot is kind of these, um, I think of them as cross undercurrents. There's an undercurrent of conflict avoidance and then another undercurrent of it's kind of a lack of accountability in terms of communicating. And that's something that I I'll kind of put out there. You know, I'm sitting at my quartz countertop. I'll put out here on the quartz countertop for for that next generation uh, professional to be thinking about is how much accountability do you feel for extending yourself, for asking for um, development? And, you know, it's, it's kind of like that leadership really can start with you and, and setting an intention of, okay, if they're moving too fast, to build a bridge to me, if this is something that I'm even thinking I might want to do, how can I initiate building a bridge to them, them being the people that are already in leadership? So let's talk about the scenario that I often see, which is leadership does not actually identify someone and say, hey, we think that you're um, a really great candidate for leadership. Let's spend the next you know, six, nine, 12 months preparing you the situations that I see that my clients are facing is someone announces their retirement in two months mm, yes. and, mm -hmm. and then the job is posted, right. And, and you're supposed to then apply for it. And there maybe hasn't been any uh, leadership development. So I, I want to talk about the challenges that that situation faces, because when you ask the question, well, how much accountability do you feel for asking for yourself? That, means that there's an anticipation that the position is going to open, that I have an aptitude for it, a desire for it, my family life will support it. I want to talk about the, the more emergent cases as well when all of a sudden your boss announces what seems to be out of the blue, I'm leaving in two months. Yeah. And there's now just a position that's open, no leadership development whatsoever. How can someone talk to themselves about their own accountability, and then how does someone want to approach that lack of succession planning? Yeah, so a few things that can uh, be useful to think about in that kind of a scenario, if you're the person that's leaving, and it's, it's kind of like between the person that's leaving and the person that is tapped to step in and fill that role, is... Uh, being super intentional and I'll even say diligent about the quality of delegation. So if here's, so there's leadership, which is, you know, kind of this, it's, it's almost like a, a, a larger concept, but there's also the practical elements of what does that person do 
and you know the the tasks the you know um whatever it is that that is on their daily to-do list it's investing the time while you have it to effectively delegate and by effectively delegate i'm talking about having a very clear conversation probably more than one where you lay out in you know as much detail as the person stepping in needs that they have the time and in, in a sense, the permission to be asking a lot of questions so that there's no ambiguity in terms of, um, there's no unspoken assumptions about what needs to be done. Because it is probably more common than not that there's not that planning. And so even just something, if you've got a couple months, you can be, again, super intentional about how you hand off those uh, various responsibilities, identifying what they are. It's kind of the who, uh, who, what, by, when uh, kind of thing. And what does success look like in the different elements of these, uh, of this person's position? I think that's a great question. What does success look like? And I, I wonder if it's different uh, based on the personality or do you find that success can be defined and sustained between, you know, Bob who has a much more of a driver personality and Sally who has a much more of an analytical personality? Yeah. And that's, that's where it, it can be really tricky if there's not the, if there, cause even with personality differences or, you know, it's like, um, I use strengths finder a lot, you know, it's like you could have people who have very different strengths. You could have, you know, people very different disc profiles if people use that, that particular tool. But if there's a commitment to quality communication and a commitment to building that interpersonal engagement and rapport, you can bridge a lot of that to get clarity and I'll even say kind of a, a a mutually understood vision of what success is like in that role. And, you know, if mm. one person is more analytical, what are the words that person needs to hear or the charts or the, you know, whatever they need to see, somebody else may need you to paint that verbal picture. Um, and, you know, and, and I think this is a really key thing is that it's, these are not one and done conversations. Mm. And so probably one of the, the best tips I can give is that you have the conversation and before it is complete, you calendar a time to circle back and check in. What did we miss? What are you now uh, questioning? What, uh, you know, just it's, it's confirming that our shared understanding of what success looks like, that we were on the same page because, you know, we're humans and, and a big part of communication is, uh, is missed or, and in fact, I think there's statistics that show nine out of 10 conversations miss the mark <laughs> because we hear something and we interpret it based on who we are. And the other person interprets what you say back based on who, you know, so you can just see how things 
could uh, be missed. And so mm -hmm. it's it's that, I call it the circle back conversation, but you stick with that. And depending on what the scenario is, like I've got some clients right now where they've done some major handoffs and they're meeting weekly. It can be 15 minutes to just, I want you to feel comfortable and know that I want, I want you to succeed. So this is that time to just ask questions or show me what you've, you know, what you've accomplished or whatever. And, and we can talk through it and ensure that we are truly on the same page. Mm -hmm. So uh, to wrap the conversation up, because I cannot believe how time flies so quickly yes. talking about preparing the next generation for leadership. Do you have two or three tips uh, for the next generation leaders, what they should do to prepare themselves if they feel that they have a desire and an aptitude to move into a leadership role? Yeah, you know, it's like <clears throat> I do encourage people to kind of start with this idea of I am a leader right now, right where I'm at. And even if I'm just leading myself, it's so it's kind of a mind shift that you start now and really get clear on what is, you know, what is it that you truly want for this next stage of your career? You don't have to have a big grand vision necessarily, but you do have to have some clarity on what would a, a I'll do air quotes here. What would a win look like for you so that you can start pointing yourself in the direction of either the mentor that you might enjoy working with, the um, skills that you might want to learn, um, you know, whether it's classes or <clears throat> just, you know, reading. There's just so much uh, out there for people to, to consume around leadership. And then third is to have the, um, it's kind of like have the courage and, and initiate a conversation to let somebody know that you're starting to think about this. And, and it's just, it's not asking for a job. It's more just asking for insight. And so it's, it's recognize that you're a leader starting right now because you're leading yourself. It's starting to think about and getting some clarity on this next part of your journey. You know, what do you really, really want? And then, you know, what do you need? Uh, how, what areas do you want to start with in terms of growth? And are there any mentors that you can see either in your organization or, you know, in your your wider circle of connections, and um, and what kind of self study, if you will, uh, really, I'll say, calls to you. You know, that is uh, interesting and um, could be key in terms of those leadership skills. Because again, it, it's like leadership management in so many ways are very different, and it really is grounded or founded in that um, the strength of your ability to not just communicate, but it's to build relationship with people, build rapport. I want to close out the podcast by talking more about your first tip. I'm a leader now. 
A good personal friend of mine who's not a contract professional, who is a scientist, was working for the federal government and went to one of their leadership courses. And he had never thought of himself as a leader. He's a scientist, introvert, let me sit down. I like my formulas, you know, ask, mm -hmm. ask me hard questions about, you know, scientific wonky things and I'm incredibly happy, but I, I'm, I'm not a leader. And he learned that very lesson. I am a leader now, even if the leading is with me. And he now, of course, is at the end of his career and will be retiring soon and has a team of 15 people that now report to him and is really thinking about, well, what's the next step of my career look like? Do I stay in leadership? You know, do I leave and go into a consulting role? That mindset, just thinking to yourself, I'm a leader now no matter if I lead myself or I lead a group of three or I have a group of 12 to 15 reporting to me, I am in fact now a leader is transformative to becoming a leader. Absolutely. You know, and because it's somewhat of an overused expression, but uh, mindset is everything. And self-perception is something that is... Um, positive self-perception can be challenging for some people. And it's starting to uh, really amp up that internal sense of um, just again, clarity on what is it that you want? And, you know, it's like, we just get one life and it, and a career, a life can go by so fast. And mm -hmm. so if leadership, is something, even if it's just something you want to explore, you're not sure, it does start with, because you're leading yourself today, whether it's uh, in, a, in an amazingly positive way or not, because <laughs> um, we just are, you know, each day we make decisions and uh, some more conscious than others. And so it is just uh, an important thing to be thinking that, hey, I'm leading from my seat right now. And, um, and if you don't want to be an official leader, there's no shame in that game either. Mm. But if you do aspire to leadership, it's starting to think about what can I do as opposed to waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder. Right. Well, Lori, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I know that a lot of folks in my profession are the next generation of leaders, whether they are leading themselves or leading a smaller team and may very well be tapped to leave, lead a much larger team in the near, near future. So your, your tips and your insights are incredibly valuable. And if any listeners would like to learn more about you, how could they find you? Absolutely. I'd love to connect either on LinkedIn, uh, Lori with L-A-U-R-I-E, Lori Nichols or LoriNichols.com. And uh, my email is Lori at LoriNichols.com. Very good. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jeanette. This was great. And uh, have a great weekend.